My crazy family. Are you sitting them by him this morning? <laughs> Some of you brought them in. Maybe you're watching at home and you've got your crazy family around you. We're talking about my crazy family because you know what? Family life is crazy. Can I get an amen? amen. Family life is crazy. Crazy can be crazy good. Crazy can be crazy crazy. A lot of stuff going on. Sometimes family schedules just you know running here and there. Maybe you're in a stage with young kids at home. Maybe it's just crazy because today you're like no park kids and I got to bring my kids into worship. This is going to be a crazy morning. Any parents give me an amen this morning? It, yes, we appreciate you and, and, and having the kids in here. But crazy can also be the difficulties we face in family life. There's some really crazy, difficult family situations, tensions in families, relationships that are, that are really on an edge. But God has placed each of us into families in one way, shape, or another, whether it's in a natural family or here in the church family. And family life can be crazy, but family life can also be beautiful the way God designed it. I want to talk about how do we move from a brokenness or places where there's just fracture to how can we find that wholeness. One of my favorite shows uh, growing up, I don't know if, uh, if you like this show as well, it was uh, The Family Feud. Any of you like The Family Feud? I'm not talking about the Steve Harvey Family Feud, right? Or who was the other guy that had it in between there? But, but this one, this one here, this is the one I'm talking about. Yeah, remember that? High quality, high quality uh, graphics here. All right, all right. Well, I don't know if you can cut that short or not, but uh, that's the family feud. And what was always really creepy was how uh, Richard Dawson always kissed all the women on the lips. Like, I don't think that would be appropriate anymore. That's, that, that is crazy. But, but we experience lots of different family feuds. But I thought today, this morning, we would have a little fun. We'd play, we have the kids in here today, so I want to play one round of the family feud with the kids. Kids in the house, I need your attention, kids in the house. We, we're gonna, I want you to talk about these answers here. And, and so we have 100, 100 people survey, right? Top five answers are on the board. We see that? All right, top five answers are on the board. And here's the question, kids. Name kids' playground equipment adults would probably hurt themselves using. Kids, what is some playground equipment that you think adults would hurt themselves using? Kids, give me a couple of answers. Let me hear a couple of them. Monkey bars, swing, slide, jungle gym. All right, all right, let's see. All right, we're going to start with the number one answer. Let's see if anybody got the number one answer. Show me the number one answer. Monkey bars. Well done. Well done. All right, number two. I like it. You guys are doing it like in the studio audience. See how everyone like slide. They say, I, I don't even have to even prompt you guys in that. It's awesome. The third top answer. Wing. Fourth. Merry go. And what do you guys think is the number five answer? Seesaw. All right. I don't even think they have merry-go-rounds anymore on, in, uh, in, in playground equipment. All right. Thanks for playing the family feud. Actually, today I want to talk about this. Settling the family feud. How do we settle the family feud? How do we move from broken to blessed? A few years ago, I read about the story about these parents who were actually taking their son, Michael, to court. He's 30 years old, and they tried to get him to move out five different times. They've written him letters, and he was just like mooching off them, and he wasn't working. He wasn't doing anything, and they got to the point where, that's enough, you're out, and they actually litigated, went to court, and the judge said, yes, parents, you can throw him out, and they offered to pay and do all this kind of stuff, and you kind of go, how did it get to that point? How does it get there, right? And, and to the point where you, you go to court and have to, to litigate something like that. But we experience craziness in our families too. We experience tension. And sometimes it's just small stuff that happens, but other times it's significant. Significant challenges between parents and kids. 
between brothers, between sisters, siblings, grandparents, different challenges that we have, and something seemingly small can turn into a, a huge deal. Do you know that one of the greatest family feuds in American history was allegedly maybe started over something as small as a stolen hog? The Hatfields and the McCoys, right? <laughs> West Virginia, Kentucky border, not too far from here. It was over a decades-long feud. It involved abductions and killings and all kinds of crazy stuff that was going on. But eventually, even they, even they settled the feud. And you know where they appeared? In the 1980s, maybe? <laughs> They appeared on the family feud. So they resolved their differences. They, they came to a place where, where they could settle those different things. How do we not allow something small in our family to potentially create a massive rift, to create a tension that results in not speaking, not talking, cutting each other off? How do we work through that? And so this morning, I want you to think about, maybe right now you have a relationship in your family that is front and center. You've already thought about it. You already know about it. Because if you're feeling that tension in your home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody that you're just struggling with. Maybe it's something small right now. Maybe it's something massive. Right now, I just want you to think about that, and I want to bring that to God in prayer. And then I'm going to talk about how we can settle the family feud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place, we are reminded of family. We're reminded of being together. And Father, as we talk about family feuds, I know there are deep pains that some here in this place or listening online are experiencing. Where, if, where there's just been separation, maybe in a marriage, maybe between kids, brothers and sisters, grandparents. And Father, we want to bring all that to you today. We want your word to speak into it. We want you to bring healing and blessing. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you. Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, four keys to settling family feuds. And I'm going to start small. And we're going to start and see if we can nip some of the stuff in the bud before it gets too big, before we start really looking at some of the difficult and, and harder issues. So we're going to begin here. Four things I want to talk about, four keys to settling family feuds. The first is this. Be unoffendable. Don't sweat the small stuff. Be unoffendable. How many times and how quickly do we get offended? Does somebody say something? Does, does somebody put us in a position where we feel like we instantly need to retaliate? You know, we live in a society that right now thrives on this. We're easily offended, and I think it creeps into our homes, and we have an issue with our family member, and instantly one of us is put off, and we're huffy and puffy, and we get upset, and we take it out on the other. Here's a verse that I think could actually be our main verse for today, but I'm going to use it here in this section. It's Colossians 3, verses 13 and 14. We should probably make a print of this and put it in every person's home, in every bedroom, in every living room, so that we have this. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Make allowance for each other's faults. Why do you think the Bible said this? Because we have faults. Because other people have faults. Those in your lives, those in your family, those in your home, they're going to say things, they're going to do things, they're going to have some weird habits, they're going to have different opinions than you. They're not going to agree with everything that you have, and you're going to have the, these things that look like faults, but you know, congratulations, you also have faults. And so what the Bible is saying here, and what I love about this verse, it's like saying, like, I'm just going to give you some credit, okay? I'm going to acknowledge you're going to have like five or ten faults. You're going to do some things that are going to annoy me, but I'm just going to go ahead and, 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 just, and give that to you. 
versus every little thing being said, every little thing is, is, being, is, is considered an indiscretion, something that is wrong, something that has to be hammered. And here's the thing that I know in our homes, and see if you agree with this too, is we're, we let our guards down in our, in our homes. Our family members know us better than anyone else. When we're out in public, sometimes, we're, you know, we can be more polite, we can be kinder, you know, I, I see that, you know, with, well, I see it with our kids, like, how great they can be with others, and then sometimes, you know, in our own home, there's tension, but I also see it with me. When the way that I, you know, may talk to my kids versus when they have a friend over, I'm such a nicer dad when they have their friend over. What is it? There's somebody else there, and all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, guys, could you, maybe you could, you know. We change. There's something, we let our guard down in our families, and, and that's a good thing because we can be comfortable, but it's also something where we know how to push each other's buttons, right? Any of you had siblings? You know what buttons to push, right? You know how to get a rise out of them. You know what to do. Husbands and wives, you know that because you know each other. And that can lead to something. And we are so, again, so easily offendable. And in our culture, everyone is butt hurt. Okay? Can I say that? I'm sorry. I said it. <laughs> this idea that every little thing offends somebody. Oh, I'm so hurt. And then it's like you have to get outraged. And you have to take it on social media and the news media. You've got to find the most outraged people. And to take it to the extremes, it's like settle down. Don't make, just don't sweat the small stuff. Why are we using all this energy and all this stuff to try to, to try to deal with an issue? Make allowance for someone else's faults. Could you imagine if Jesus was so easily offended? <laughs> I'm not talking to Peter anymore. I'm done. I'm giving John the silent treatment. You know? Or he goes on a rant. He goes on a rage. You know, like, I've had it with all you Pharisees. I'm done with you. Now, Jesus was passionate. Jesus had moments where he stood on the truth, but he didn't seem to strike me as somebody who was easily offendable. He understood what was going on around him. He just said, you know, let it go. And he followed his path, and he went his way in that way. But there is so much division in our families, and, and, and we wonder, when we walk on eggshells, and we have somebody, and, and it's always tense, do you ever feel like you can't do anything right in your family? Maybe from your spouse. Maybe you feel like everything I do wrong, it gets, it gets mentioned. I can't seem to do anything right. Maybe as kids you feel that from your parents. Maybe you feel that between the siblings. Every little offense gets jumped on. And that's not a way that there's peace in the home. And in this moment, how can we make allowance for each other's faults so that we don't compound these things and let every little thing be a powder keg that can explode? We're, we're experts at making mountains out of molehills in our homes. And there's so much craziness and strife that comes from that. Look at this verse in James 3.17. More great advice. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and this, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy. We're not good at yielding to others. You know the, the, the triangles, you know, while you're driving, the yield sign? What that means is there's other cars coming. You can go if there's nobody there, but if somebody's coming, you slow down, you let them go. You yield, meaning you give them the right. Yield to each other. Imagine in our homes if we yielded to each other. If we said, you know what? you go first. You know what? I'm going to have the smaller piece of the cookie. It wasn't evenly divided in half. I'll take the smaller one, right? You can have the better seat at the table. We'll watch the movie you want to watch. I'm not talking to anyone here uh, in my home, at least, right? We all deal with it. It's normal. I mean, that, that, that's, that's something we have to learn. How do we yield to each other to put the other first? So that's where we begin. Be unoffendable. Begin to say, I'm going to make some room, some allowance for each other's faults. And you know what happens? It doesn't even blow up anything. It's the kind of thing that the next day you've kind of forgotten about it. And you move on. And that's great. So many things can be solved at that point by you not even making something out of it. But what if you can't let it go? 
What if there's something that just gets under your skin and it starts to affect your relationship? You know what I'm talking about, right? You thought it wasn't a big deal or maybe it was a cumulative thing and later you just realize it continues to bug, to bug you. And now you've got some distance between the person. Maybe they don't even know it, but you feel it. They walk in the room, you hear them come in the house, or they're walking down the hall, or maybe it's a coworker, and you just kind of go, something's not right between us. Maybe they know it too. What do you do then? You stuff it down. No. <laughs> no, this is what we're going to talk about number two. Confront quickly and kindly. Don't stuff it down. So many of us stuff it down. Now, again, not easily offendable, but at the same time, if it's something that's gotten to the point where it's affecting your relationship, maybe you say, well, I don't want to make any wind. I don't want to make any waves around this. I just want to let it go quietly. And so we don't. We hate this word confronting. You know, and if you like to confront, you might have a problem. I mean, none of us should like confronting. It's not comfortable. But so many of us don't deal with the things that we need to deal with because we're afraid what's going to make the relationship worse. But what happens? It gets worse anyway. Because you're already dealing with it. You're, you've already let it affect you. So how do we deal with this? We need to confront early. What do you do when you realize something is going on between us? And you, you speak out and you say, you know, I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. I'd like, to, I'd like to, you know, talk about this. And you begin that conversation and it's uncomfortable. But what do I say about confronting? Quickly and kindly. Let's talk about confronting quickly. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. What does he mean by don't let the sun go down while you're angry? Don't let a day pass. Don't let this day pass. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give an open door for this whole problem between you and a family member or a friend begin to take place. Unfortunately, last night I had to do some disciplining as a, as a parent, and, and it got me all, all, all worked up, and, and, um, and, and I'm thinking, this is nuts. Before I got to talk about crazy family and family feuds, it's going, I got to deal with it, and I'm, in, I'm getting ready for bed, and I'm kind of getting worked up, and I'm thinking, big Sunday tomorrow, and, 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 and this thing, and all right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look through my notes for, for the message, and I came across this verse. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. It was like, okay, God, last night. Got out of bed. The girls I talked to weren't asleep yet, and I went in. said, hey, I love you. You know, we got to deal with whatever we're dealing with, but we love each other. It was a great hug, affectionate, and it was like there was something right. We're still going to deal with what we got to deal with, but there was something right there. Because the relationship, it's staying, keeping that bond, even if you have challenges and difficulties, but can deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, because just imagine you're giving the devil this foothold, and I see the devil going, got him. I got them. They're angry. They're angry another day, and they're angry another day. I'm going to keep yanking on it. I'm going to keep pulling on it, and that family relationship is going to start tearing apart. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the other thing, though, is key here, too. Confront kindly. This is so hard, is it not? When we're angry, when we're upset, when we've been wronged, we, don't, we forget this kindly part, and that's so key to this stuff. The way we speak, what we say matters. I just want to give you three quick verses here, what the Bible says about the power of the tongue. The tongue can bring death or life. That's powerful, isn't it? Death or life, right there. You each have the power of death or life right there in your mouth. The next verse, Ephesians. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. We love harsh words. 
Unfortunately, I like harsh words when I'm angry because it makes me feel like it's the gravity of the situation, but what happens is it makes the tempers go up. It raises the anxiety in the room and the conversation. And to learn gentleness, I have to learn gentleness. And I learned this as a, as a parent too. Sometimes when things are crazy in the house, especially when the kids were even, even younger, what I realized the issue wasn't that the kids were causing the problem, it was they were acting out the tension and anxiety that I was feeling or that Shannon was having, or that we were having, that we were feeling. If we were in a time and a season where it was busy, where it was stressful, where there were things were difficult, that same tension, we bring that into the home and everybody feels it. And it's my responsibility as a dad and us as parents to recognize that and say, we gotta bring the anxiety down in the home. And it's amazing when you're in a place where you're in a good place, in a good space, it's amazing how differently you handle different things in the home. And sometimes I realize that when I blow up, it's because I'm stressed. It's because I'm tense. And I let a small thing set me off, and I take it out on somebody else. Does anybody else relate with me on this, please? All right, I just want to make sure I'm not the only one. Thank you, support group. I appreciate that. Hebrews 12 says this way. It says this, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And then this here. Watch out that the poisonous root of bitterness, uh, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. The poisonous root of bitterness. Isn't that some great biblical imagery? Don't let that poisonous root of bitterness grow up to corrupt you. And that's what we do when we don't confront quickly and kindly. That root takes hold. The devil takes hold in your family, in your relationship, and you've got to pull up that thing by the root. And if you address it now, if you address it early, quickly, kindly, it doesn't have to grow to be kind of a rift that becomes unsolvable. And it really fractures and damages family when we don't deal with that root of bitterness. There were a couple of brothers in the 1920s who uh, started a shoe factory out of their mom's home in Germany. And they received all kinds of um, uh, recognition and their business really boomed when in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, Jesse Owens wore one of their pairs of shoes. And so their, their business took off and then a rift happened between them. And these, these were the Dossler brothers, Adolf and Rudolf, good German names, right? Adolf and Rudolf Dossler. And so they split and they went on different parts of the town and they started their own companies and their own factories. And Adolf Dussler, he often went by Adi, and so he took the, his, part of his first name and part of his last name and started Adidas. And his brother Rudolf started Puma. And so these were their, some of their original logos. And these guys began these two prominent companies experiencing incredible success, right, that, before, that you couldn't even dream of. But when they died, do you know, they never reconciled. Nobody ever understood really why they had these issues. And you know what, they were even buried on opposite ends of the cemetery, is this where we want it to end? If we don't pull up the poisonous root of bitterness, this is where family relationships can end. And so deal with things quickly. Confront quickly and kindly and don't stuff it down. Now we get into some harder stuff yet. But what if? But what if there's been such an infraction? What if there's something that was so grievous, right, that these guys dealt with? And this is why we need number three. Forgive generously with or without receiving an apology. We could just stop there. You guys could talk about this forever, right? Get in your life groups, talk about this life. Forgiving generously with or without an apology. Time out, pastor. Why would I forgive somebody who hasn't apologized? Uh-uh, ain't no way, ain't no how, I'm not forgetting them. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Nope, 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 nope. And even if they come groveling to me, I may or may not 
grant them an apology, or maybe just a smidge, right? We try to do as little as possible. We love the control. We love the power that it gives. We've been wronged, and now I have something over you. I will withhold forgiveness. I'm going to hold it over you. I'm going to distance you. I'm going to push you away. I have finally have some control over what you've done to me. And we think we have the answer by, by remaining unforgiving. What are some situations in your family life that maybe you're dealing with? Things that are so grievous that there's been a major rift, a major infraction. Has there been cheating, lying, stealing, abuse, verbal or physical? Just negativity, hurtful words, constant put-downs. What about opposing viewpoints, whether it's politics or cultural, moral issues, religious views, lifestyle choices? Maybe you're dealing with financial or legal issues. Maybe there was, maybe it was a court case. Maybe it was an inheritance and it just put a rift in your family. Sibling grudges, competition, jealousy, favoritism, substance abuse, addiction, traumatic events, death, loss, sickness. I mean, we can go on and on. All these things can become rifts in families. And some of you haven't spoken to somebody in years. Some of you have just written them off and you've said, you know, I've severed ties. I've disowned them. We're estranged from the family. And you know what? You feel some peace. And sometimes it is. There's, there's peace there. But something in you is probably not settled because it's not right. And we see it being played out right now in public in a big way, right? Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, the royal family. Right? What's going on there? And we watch it and we see. And then we see the king's coronation. And we watch Prince Harry walk in kind of like a lost sheep sitting rows behind his family. After the coronation, ducking out, the rest of the family's taking pictures, and, and you, you know, whatever their reasons, but you'd maybe look at that and go, it just doesn't, it isn't right. This is family. These are brothers. They grew up together. This is his dad. This is a family. What's going on? But forget about them. What about your family? What about you? What about those situations, those relationships? Ever go to an awkward wedding or a family gathering? Ever find yourself saying, I'm not going there if so-and-so is there? Oh, they walk in, I'm leaving. If they're there, I'm not saying a word. Then you, then you show up at someone's funeral. You feel obligated to go. I've, I've, as a pastor, I've done funerals, and I've heard you know, people try to come up to me ahead of time and be like, just so you know, here's what's going on in our family. They're coming, but this, and it's like, I gotta get this whole big backstory. It's like, pull up your big boy pants and forgive each other. This is not right. Look what's going on in your family. Look what you're dealing with. And, and it's all this caution to, I understand there are big things and there are hurts and I don't want mean to make light of those, some of those things I listed are very serious. But is the only option to sever ties instead of to rebuild. We have lots of biblical examples of, of, of relationships that have, been, that have been broken. Joseph and his brothers in the Old Testament. I mean, come on. They faked his death, lied to his dad who's grieving. They sell him into slavery and they abandoned him for years to come. What could be worse than that? Ten of your brothers doing that, right? I mean, that's what happened to him. Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament, they, they were twins, and, and Jacob cheated Esau out of his inheritance, and there was lying, and there was deception going on. Jesus and Peter, Peter denied him, right? I'm going to be with you forever, and even Peter, no, I don't even know them. I don't even know the man. Paul and Barnabas, they were, they were ministry partners, and yet they separated ways over a disagreement over John Mark and his role and being a partner, different things going on. Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son, a son who, who wished his dad dead by saying, I want the whole inheritance, and, and, and left and abandoned his brother, his father, his responsibility, wasted all the money. These are stories in the Bible about rifts and things that took place. But again, we feel this empowerment of 
unforgiveness. If I remain unforgiving, then, then I'm not going to let him off the hook. And as we do that, as we begin to think about what, what begins to happen in us, we, we get bitter. We have rage. We, 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 we have animosity. There's anger. We, we think hard words and things that we say. But here's what begins to happen. I'll put it this way. Unforgiveness places us in an emotional and spiritual prison. We place ourselves. We think we're placing the other person in that prison. And you know what we've done? We've handcuffed ourselves to that very situation. We are in that emotional and we are in that spiritual prison. And yet we think somehow we have some control and don't realize we're locked into it ourselves. Here's what the Bible says, Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, the bitterness we carry, the rage, the anger, the slander, the things we're always saying about the other person or the ex or whatever, right? Those are all things that, that hold us and that imprison us. But this whole thing, what about with or without an apology, Pastor? I'm still, not, I'm still stuck on that part. More than we can get into here today. Of course, of course we want the person that wronged us to come and ask for an apology, and we should grant it. Even then, sometimes we don't. But because it's not just about them, it's also about what it's doing to us that we need to forgive with or without an apology. To allow myself to be free to say, you know, I release you and thereby I free myself. Whether or not you apologize or not, I'm moving on from the situation. I'm letting it go and I'm finding my freedom in that. There's a generosity and forgiveness. Jesus was talking about this, and Peter came to him, and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He's being very generous in this idea. Seven times. What do I need to do with that? And he comes. He says, no, 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 no. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 77 times. Seven times seven. 70 times 7. I can't do my math this morning, and I need glasses. That's generous forgiveness. And so we think about how many times we forgive and how do we free ourselves from that. But listen, this isn't the only piece. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is difficult, but there's another level. There's a fourth level, and it's about restoring the relationship. It's about making things right and saying, I got to get together. Point number four. I don't have my notes anymore. I left the rest of them, so I got to now go off this. Restore the relationship. <laughs> bury the hatchet. You know where that phrase, bury the hatchet, comes from? It was first appeared in, the English, uh, in English writing back in the, in the 1600s in, in New England when the British uh, armies were, were still fighting here and they had run-ins with the, with the Native Americans, right, and the, 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 Mohican, uh, was the, the Mohawk Indians. And, and the, the major from the army and the, the chief got together and they were going to try to find a truce. But instead of signing some truce agreement, they buried the hatchet. They had a, bear, a hatchet bearing ceremony. They literally took the hatchets, they buried it in, in the ground. And the literature that we see tells us and reminds us that this was more significant than any peace treaty that they could have signed. Because it reminded them that this is it. This is the weapon of war. This is the weapon of destruction. And we are laying it down. It is over. We're laying it down. We're done. And this is so hard in families to bury the hatchet, to say we're laying it down. We may not be fighting with hatchets, but maybe it's our words. Maybe it's our actions. Maybe it's our indifference. And to say, I want to experience some level of restoration. I want to bring that relationship back together. 
I think there's no better example that we have in, in, in Scripture than the story of Joseph. As I mentioned earlier, his brother's selling him to slavery, and we see all that, that went on. But when a famine hit, and his brothers had to go, and they had to, find, um, they had to find grain in Egypt. And so they went, and they went to Egypt, which is a neighboring nation, and they didn't know his brother was there and what took place. But in the meantime, his brother went from being a slave to being the second in command of all of Egypt, and he was overseeing the resources of that nation. And the brothers came, and they wanted to see if they could find some grain, and there they appeared before none other than Joseph. They didn't recognize him. But he instantly recognized them. Those were his brothers. That sold him into slavery. And I can't imagine the emotion and everything that welled up in him. And there was some time that transpired, and the brothers went back and forth, and he still didn't reveal himself to them. But one time they came back, and he was in this place, and he started breaking down, weeping. He was so overcome with, with emotion. And he sent out his servants, and he sent out his attendants, and he said they heard him wailing throughout the entire palace. And in that moment, he broke down and he revealed himself to his brothers, and he said to him, I am Joseph. I'm Joseph. I'm the brother that you sold into slavery. But he says, don't worry. Don't fear. In that moment, he said, come closer. And I'm sure they were shaking, thinking, oh, who is this man? Now he can just do up or down, and we are done. We are toast for everything we've ever paid for. He had every authority, every power to take them out. But he drew them closer, and here's what he said, right? I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery into Egypt. But he goes through all of that, and bring up the last verse in that, verse 15. After he reveals himself to them, they said, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them, and after that, they began talking freely with him. I can't even imagine that situation. But what we see in Joseph, what we see in that moment, is he didn't deny the past hurt and pain. He wept. We've been hurt. Nobody's saying that you weren't hurt, that things aren't bad, that things shouldn't have gone that way. Nobody's saying to deny that. He didn't deny it. You know what he did? He acknowledged his family relationship. I am your brother. You may have sold me. You may have disowned me. But we are family, and blood runs thicker than water. I'm your brother. And yes, you sold me into slavery. He didn't deny what was done to him. He acknowledged that. But then he did what, what is so uncommon. He stepped back and he said, you know what? But there's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger God at work and doing some things in, in my life and in yours. And I'm gonna trust God who is working things out and he's put me in a place like this so that I could be here for you. And then he forgave them. Did they ask for an apology? No, we don't read anything about that. But he took the step and he embraced them and he kissed them as a way of saying, I forgive you. And we know that he did that because he didn't just forgive them, he was generous in his forgiveness. He actually said, come back, go get your father, go get my youngest brother, I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you jobs, I'm gonna provide grain, and he went overboard in his care. He had every right to take it out on him, and he didn't, but he understood it was by the grace of God. And so as we look at these different ways, and we say, you know, how can we stop something early on, right? Before it becomes something crazy. Just, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, be unoffendable. Be unoffendable. The second thing, right, as, we, as we're going along, we're thinking not just about the offenses that happened to us here. Put up the four things that we've been talking about, right? Confront quickly and kindly. We can stop things as they go along. Forgive generously with or without receiving an apology and restore the relationship. Bury the hatchet. This is hard. I don't expect in one session here to cover everything, but you can see the progression if we can deal with it early. But nothing blesses God. Nothing shows more the witness of a life transformed when we can show through the power of God forgiveness and restoration in relationships. And we can't do it. 
if we don't understand that we need Jesus Christ to help us. We need God's help. Put up the verse from Psalm. Psalm 86, 5. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. You know, Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He was so gracious. He forgave you. He forgave me every little last thing that we've done. When we come to him, he says, I forgive you. I wipe the slate clean. You have a new start, a fresh beginning. He says, because of that forgiveness, we are able to forgive others. Have you received that forgiveness? Have you made that relationship right with your heavenly Father? You need that in order to have the grace and the mercy to forgive those who have hurt you and to restore that relationship. I want us to bow our heads in prayer, and I just, wanna, I just want you to pray for a moment in your heart. What relationship do you need to restore? What relationship do you need to maybe become less offendable in? Where do you need to give forgiveness? Where do you need to bury the hatchet? Ask for God's grace and strength right now. Heavenly Father, this is a painful topic for, for many. We have these families, God, that we didn't necessarily choose, but God, we've been placed into or born into or married into. And yet, Father, we trust your plan and your sovereignty. And Father, where there is deep pain, where there are deep wounds, where there are just closed doors, God, I pray for a crack of your mercy and of your grace. To restore, to forgive. Father, give us a vision and a heart for a restored relationship in our family where it's needed. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who has not received this forgiveness from you, who doesn't know what it means to be completely forgiven, to be set free by our Creator through Jesus Christ. Father, may we receive that forgiveness this morning and just know that we are right with you. God, we give you thanks. You are so good to us. God, bring healing to our families, restoration and hope. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.